Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tigers podcast by the Detroit Free Press, special opening day edition, episode number four. I'm Mark Gorash. I'm here with my partner, Free Press beat writer Evan Petzold. How you doing, Ev? I'm doing all right, Mark. It's good to be back for episode four of the pod. And man, it's been a really long spring. I'm happy that we're finally getting to opening day. It's right around the corner. It's here Thursday. Tigers are playing the Tampa Bay Rays in St. Pete. It's a 310 start time. Eduardo Rodriguez is on the mound. And yeah, I'm just happy for opening day. I'm happy to get into the swing of the regular season. It's a really long spring when you're down here for that long. Now, I'm not going to complain. I understand. I got the sun. Um, you know, you drive over, you know, about an hour and you hit a beach. And those are pretty nice, too. You got some good places to get dinner. But um, I'm excited to be back home. I'm excited to be back in Detroit. Got to get through a couple uh, a couple series first against the Rays and the Houston Astros. But uh, then finally back to Detroit. Tough way to open the season on the road, uh, Rays and Astros. But, yeah, Florida's been holding Evan Petzold hostage for about six weeks now. Ever since Super Bowl Sunday, I've been down here and uh, not going anywhere. I got another week down here and then uh, finally get to, to move locations. So yeah, you can't wait for to, that. Get to sleep in your own bed. That'll be nice. That'll be nice. That'll be a nice change of pace. Going to get to see the fiance, Savannah. Shout out to her. Um, also to the Cats. Blanco and TBK. Can't wait to see them. So before we start getting into the nitty gritty of opening day, I kind of asked you about this before. So tell me one Evan Petzl opening day story memory when you were a kid or maybe the first one you covered or tell, tell me something that was fun about opening day for you. Yeah, I'll never forget covering the uh, opening day at Comerica Park when Miguel Cabrera is like a snow globe going around the ballpark. It was it was a beautiful picture, first and foremost. And then um, you know, Miguel Cabrera hits the home run, slides into second base, isn't sure whether it's a double or whether it's a homer. Turns out it's a homer. He comes all the way around. Um, that, that was pretty cool. But I grew up as a principal's kid, so I didn't get to skip school for opening day. So it was really cool in seventh grade. Uh, my teacher, Mark Brown, he actually had the Tigers game up on the small TV in the corner of the classroom. And to get a chance to watch the game that way, kind of with all my classmates, like it was just a really cool memory. Um, that I have. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously early in the season, I would always get get pumped for Tigers baseball. It was always, um, you know, opening up the newspaper, reading it, checking online to, to read what was happening in spring training. And then right when the game started, you know, I listened to it on the way home from school. And, you know, if I could sneak home by the time it was, you know, the, the eighth, ninth inning, hopefully flip it on TV and, and catch the ending there for some of those early season day games. But yeah, I mean, a lot of good memories, but definitely seventh grade stands out as well as the Miguel Cabrera snow globe home run yeah the snow globe home run was an underrated great memory for miguel that was a lot of fun stuff i have you know a lot of memories of opening day since i'm so old but i can tell you growing up in oak park michigan with my buddies we loved baseball and i don't know maybe like in 69 we sent away for opening day tickets Four 13-year-old boys uh, got them. And to show you how much times have changed in America, so you had four 13-year-old boys who caught the bus at 10 Mile in Coolidge and took the bus downtown to Tiger Stadium for opening day by themselves and went to opening day. I don't even remember who we were playing, but the four of us went. We ended up sitting behind some guys. They were drinking a lot of beers. I mean, a lot. Enough that we were noticing how many red cups were, like, around our feet. 
1969, and they got pretty raucous, and, you know, it's just kind of stuff that you remember. And those four guys and I went to probably, you know, my boyhood friends from elementary school, I'd say we probably ended up going to maybe 15, 18 opening days together. Wow. Um, haven't gone too much lately. You know, in some ways, as fun as it is, especially with the team being bad, it kind of gets a little amateur hour-ish in my mind. But we'll see. I actually liked going to the second game of the season when nobody was there better. They used to have the off day a lot of times after opening day. And uh, I uh, I used to like go to the second game of the year sometimes more than, the, more than opening day. So, yeah, a lot of memories, seen a lot of opening days. Miss Ernie Harwell on opening day, but thank God we have Double D, and he still adds a lot of great nostalgia to the day. It's still a great day, no matter if they're on the road or at home, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to, to Tampa and Eduardo on the mound. So let's, uh, let's talk a little, you know, it's a long spring training. I think that we still have a lot of unresolved questions. You did a a lineup 3.0 kind of walk walk through real fast for me you know what you think I, I think what we know is resolved we don't need to talk about too much now but what do you think is unresolved yeah I think just some of the the questions around Carrie Carpenter Akil Badu how much Cesar Hernandez are we going to see how much Ryan Kreidler are we going to see I think those are kind of the questions on the position player side that we're going to have to figure out. And, and that might take some time too. Like you have to remember that th- this is going to be a revolving door of, you know, the last couple roster spots are going to be shuffled around both in the 40 man and possibly on the 26th man, they're going to use their options to their advantage and, and move guys around when they can. So I don't know if we're really going to see a locked in lineup at any point this season. So it makes it really difficult to predict what's going to happen. I mean, look, if Akil Badu is on the roster and and he's not hitting and you want to go go carry Carpenter, you know, Carrie Carpenter is going to come up. If Carrie Carpenter's up and he's not hitting and you want to give Akil Badu a shot, then you can bring him up. Like there could just be like, again, that's that's a question that we have um, in spring training. But again, in the season, it could go either way and it could be up and down, uh, up and down a couple times. And that doesn't even factor in Parker Meadows of the conversation where if he's hitting in AAA, well, then you got three guys that you're talking about there in terms of who gets the playing time. So I think for some of that kind of stuff, it's going to be up in the air kind of for the whole season. And, and it's almost like throw a bunch of stuff at the wall in a calculated way and see what sticks. And that's where they're at right now with with the kind of the bottom of the roster. I think for the most part, the rotation looks pretty good. Joey Wentz is going to be filling in for Michael Lorenzen, who has a groin strain. I mean, he'll be working back. He's going to start the season on the injured list. Tyler Nevin, by the way, is also going to start the season on the injured list with an oblique strain. He's almost almost back. So he's, he's getting to that point now. He's going to open the season on a rehab assignment if all goes well over the next couple of days, which is a really good sign for him because he'll be in Toledo. And, and then it could be you know a matter of a couple of weeks before he's able to get his chance to get back to the big league. So that's another name that could enter back into the mix if you want to talk about this revolving door that we're talking about. But, but yeah, in the rotation, it'll be Joey Wentz filling in for Michael Lorenzen for now. I think the bullpen seems pretty set. There's a couple, you know, toss-ups that can go either way. But again, in the same way, the bullpen is going to be a revolving door as well. Um, there's going to be a couple names that we're going to see up and down several times. Um, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out and how they mix and match. For the most part, though, I feel like the core pieces are pretty set. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's time for opening day. I think, you know, you and I have had our own arguments about this. And I think what we've decided to do is it's, look, in the next 48 hours, we're going to get answers to these questions. And some of the minutia isn't even worth speculating about. I think Harris is going to be perusing the waiver wire pretty hard for relievers. If there happens to be an interesting right-handed bat, he might look at it. But, you know, look, I think the Badoo... Veerling, Carpenter, grouping, two of those guys are going to get at bats, one's not. Uh, I think Akil Badu has a better chance of being a bench player than Kerry Carpenter does because he can run and pinch run, and they need a pinch runner. I think from a utility standpoint, 
I'd be a little nervous if I was Cesar Hernandez because he had three hits in his last 20-plus at-bats. And going back to the 13th of March, he also cost money. And there's a dynamic with Ryan Kreidler, who I would have a week ago never given a shot at making the squad. But I think he's got a damn good shot because he just would not stop contributing. He's also a pretty big part of their team chemistry. It's pretty close with a lot of people in that locker room. The other thing he does is a very big part of how A.J. Hinch looks at players and manages, which is if you hit the ball to Ryan Kreidler, he catches it. There's no fumbling the ball. There's He's he's a strong defender, and that's more important to Hinch and a bench player than the bat. So... I think he's got a much better shot now of being on the bus than he did before. What's what, what your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was interesting. I was between him and Andy Ibanez for a really long time, and I was leaning heavily towards Ibanez for one reason and one reason only, and it's that Ibanez has a better contact rate against breaking balls. So those are pitches that he's going to be able to, to, to have more contact on, as opposed to Ryan Kreiber, who really struggles against breaking balls, especially from righties. But one thing that I think, you know, needs to be talked about too is the swing decisions, right? Ryan Kreidler has better swing decisions than Andy Ibanez, but Andy Ibanez has a better contact rate. And so I think in that sense, you know, it, it does make some sense, you know, why the Tigers decided to, to send Andy Ibanez off to minor league camp and, and they kept Ryan Kreidler in the conversation. So it's, that's kind of the, 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 at the, at the plate, you know, type foundation that, that keeps Kreidler around. And then you talk about the defense. He's Mr. Automatic. He can play several positions. He's also played the outfield. He's a guy that you can plug in. And also, he's kind of a glue guy in a way, like you mentioned in the clubhouse. Not a Jake Rogers-level glue guy, um, but a glue guy amongst that Torkelson, Green, Kreidler-type group. And those are guys that have come up together and that have played together for a really long time. He's obviously well aware of Parker Meadows, and there's a, there's a, a budding relationship there. I think there's just a lot of good things that, Ryan Kreider brings to your team behind the scenes that maybe you don't realize. And then especially when you consider some of the swing decisions. Now there is some more in zone swing and miss. I understand that. Like that's, that's, that's the problem is that, um, you know, that's why I looked at the Abanias Kreider battle the way that I did, but the swing decisions have been pretty good in camp. And I think that it's deserved him a real opportunity and he's, he's earned his way. He's earned his way. I think he was kind of the guy that everybody was counting out at one point in spring training. And there were kind of whispers, Hey, don't count out Ryan Kreidler. You know, there, there's still a chance. And it was like, okay, like, is that the same thing that you're telling me about Zach short or, or not? Um, but he's proven it. He stepped up. So a lot of respect to him. He plays the game hard. He plays the game the right way. And um, it'll be fun to watch him and see if they can just get more out of that bat, because if there's more that comes out of that bat, um, yeah, he can be an interesting player. So while we're on this topic, you know, we we had discussed this, and I think it's something, you know, we, we know who's had a good spring. Torque's had a good spring. Parker Meadows just <laughs> really forcing people's hands in a lot of ways. And, you know, there, there's quite a few guys had decent springs. Kreidler had 15 hits, if I wasn't incorrect, right? Didn't share that with me. He had, I think he led the team in hits for, for the spring. So, um but, you know, let's talk about Riley Green for a second. And, you know, my man love for Riley Green is pretty well known. I know you feel the same. There's an outstanding article in the Free Press today written by Evan Petzl, pretty in-depth about Riley. But you and I have been talking a little bit about him the last week, and you and I have been known to get into the minutia about a lot of things about his hitting metrics, but... Hitting the ball on the ground a lot last year concerned us. Had a crazy low launch angle, which I thought was an anomaly considering he hit 24 homers last year or two years ago. I wasn't too worried coming into the year, and he's actually had four homers this spring. So he is lifting the ball, but still quite a few ground balls. We had this talk today, so I, I asked you to go ask the powers that be if they could come back and tell us what his ground ball rate was. So you didn't tell me. So I, I thought I'd take a guess. I know you got the answer for me. Yeah, so. take a guess. All right. So I, 
it was not nearly as bad going into this week as it has been this week. So I got to think now it's damn close to 50% now. 51.4 entering Sunday's game. And in Sunday's game, let's let's give Riley Green some credit. He hit an absolute bomb to center field for a three-run home run. So put some respect on his name there. But yeah, it, it was 51.4% entering Sunday's game. You factor in the home run, a couple more ground balls. Um, yeah, yeah, you're pretty spot on. It, it's Here's the weirdest thing about it to me. He's he's done some things this spring that I absolutely love. He's just pounded the ball to the left side of the field. It's it's he's I think he's hit three three of his four homers to left or two to two to center two to left. He has not pulled one to the right side of the field yet. He's hit many other balls to the left side of the field hard. What he's not done is pull the baseball out front hard in the air. And it's a, it's a little worrisome to me. It's something we've talked about Spencer Torkelson a lot about beating the pitcher to the spot. And I just worry a little bit that Riley last year spun on the ball a lot and he's not beating the pitcher to the spot out front to the pull side. You know, I'm not there for every at bat like you. What are you seeing with that? I just think it's interesting that going back to 2021, his minor league season where he absolutely raked um, and moved up from double A AA to triple A and um, just really caught everyone's attention. Um, and, and obviously we all knew about him as a, as a big time prospect, but it was that 2021 season where everyone said, okay, yeah, like this guy's got it. Like he's got the it factor. And he was elevating pitches in almost every location within the strike zone. I mean, it was, it was insane. Like you look at the heat map and it was just everything in the middle was, was pretty much elevated. And he was getting the ball up in the air. He was not hitting ground balls on pitches inside the strike zone. Now, 2022, it's a little bit different. He's elevating pitches only right in the middle of the zone and then also middle and, and up and in a little bit middle away or up and away, excuse me. So, but, but basically struggled to elevate pitches everywhere else, including the inside corners. And the power numbers, you know, plummeted because of that. Um, you know, when you're hitting the ball on the ground, you're not going to hit for power. And we all know that. And yeah, it was 56.8% of his balls in play were on the ground, and that's that's not what you want. His hard hit rate is off the charts, but when you're slamming the ball into the ground, that's just not good enough. So he's talked about trying to get to this swing thought, and he's calling it a pure swing thought. That's what he's calling it. Just He, he goes up there, steps into the box, and he thinks one word, pure. That's what he wants. He wants pure backspin, and that's all he's looking for. He's working on it in, um, in BP. He's working on it in the cages. That's what he's trying to do to just get that backspin on the ball, create that loft and get that carry and get it up. And that's the way that he's thinking about it. But we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen it yet in spring. And I want to see a longer, I want to see a bigger sample size. I want to see this guy locked into at-bats through you know, two months of a season and then kind of go back and evaluate, okay, where, where are these numbers at? What do they look like? And maybe what needs to change moving forward? Part of me wonders, you know, is it is it a, a bat path thing? Like, I don't, I don't want to critique his swing because – you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not a hitting coach, right? <laughs> not, a, not a hitting coach at all, but it makes you wonder if it's a, a, a bat path thing or if it's a mechanical flaw that basically makes him have trouble, you know, trying to get the barrel over the plate. Like, is that, is that where it's at right now? I don't really know. Is it because of the increase in velocity that he has seen since he's gotten to this level? I mean, he didn't see the same velocity in 2021 in, in AA Erie, right? Or, or in AAA Toledo. So is it a velocity thing? Is it a mechanics flaw. I'm not entirely sure. I think we need more of a sample size to really get a grasp on what's going on, but he seems pretty confident he's going to be able to get the ball in the air as long as he's thinking the right way. And, and once he gets going, here's what I'll tell you about Riley green. Father is a hitting coach mm -hmm. has a hitting facility, pretty technical about his own swing quietly. So what we're saying, he already knows it's not like it's a mystery to him. I'm sure there's reasons he's working on it. And I think this season will be an interesting journey because to me, it's the last part of his, you know, hitting process is pulling the baseball in the air for extra base power. He's pretty much got everything else rolling pretty well now. So uh, I'll be interesting to see, interested to see the progression I'll say this, and I, I, I tweeted it today. 
you know, there's small things you look for in players, especially players that impact winning. There's a winning time. And I know today when Riley hit prior to hitting the three-run homer, and I don't really care the pitcher he's facing, but he was 26 pitches into his inning, two runners on, struggling, probably needed to throw a strike. And good hitters leverage that situation and do some damage. And I was thinking it before the before the swing. And when he went deep, I was like, yep, that's what I want to see. That's right there. That's your impact player doing impact things at the right place at the right time. And that's how you win baseball games. So, Mark, that's one example of a guy, though, and what he can do at this level. We know what he can be in terms of being the face of the franchise. He has these MVP caliber skills. He has an elite hit and power profile when he's right. It's just putting it all together. Like That was one example that you saw on Sunday of what this guy can really be and what he can do for this team. And he can carry him. He can carry him when he's right. It's just all about getting there. Yep. The other thing I've noticed the last couple of days that I really liked is Nick Maton walking a lot. So, yes, he's got five homers and he's destroying. The, listen, there's nothing that Nick Maton has not done this spring that has not brought a smile to all Tiger baseball fans. But these walks the last few days, I was just, that's like chef's kiss to me, baby. That's, you couldn't have done much more to get me excited. I also... You know, I've tweeted this a few times. They played him much more at second base than I thought they would. I think it's a, you know, you can read something into it. Sometimes we all read more things into it than he's just getting exposure at places so Hinch can see how he handles it. But it's a good time to segue into this question, which is, you know, the team that we're going to start with in April is probably not going to resemble the team that we're going to see maybe after the All-Star break. Is that, you think that's a fair comment or not? Maybe, yeah. I mean, we'll see how it all plays out. There's definitely a lot more depth, and I understand that some of that might feel like, you know, kind of your 4A player type depth. But, yeah, I mean, you, you, you could see some movement um, depending on how guys perform. I think if Jonathan Scope is, is really, really struggling, and he would have to be really struggling, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe you make a move off of him. Maybe you know Parker Meadows could could be in that mix. Some pitchers, maybe there are some changes there, but I don't know how much we're really going to see between you know, the beginning of the season and July. I would say in September things will look a lot different, um, but I'm not so sure about July. It's wait and see for me. I think there's going to be a lot of roster shuffling, a lot of lineup shuffling, but I don't know how many new faces we're going to see by July. We'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I think I think if Parker Meadows is 90 percent of what he was in the spring. My birthday is May 17th. He will be here before that. Well, I think Malloy is a guy that could be be kind of in that same boat too coming up at some point in July, right? Like he could kind of fit that 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 mix, but he has to hit in Toledo. Like we got to see it. We have to see it first, and, and he's got to earn his way up here. We don't know where Jay Hen plays yet either. True. To be really blunt, we don't know where the best hitting prospect, maybe not. Maybe Parker Meadows is, is a better hitting prospect than Cole well, Keith. I don't know. But my, my point is is that we, we don't know where Cole Keith's going to play yet either. So, there's a lot that has to be ironed out in that way, Mark. But that's why I think like Parker Meadows is probably your first guy that comes up just based on Badu and Carpenter. Keith, I feel like, is more of a September call-up, only because we don't know where he's going to play. I think he is an outfielder or a first baseman. Um, Tigers have a pretty good first baseman, if you haven't heard, so... It's going to have to be outfield, I would assume, or or maybe third base, but I don't think he's staying at third base. I don't think he's playing that position in the big leagues. And then for Justin Henry Malloy, I think that comes down to, to more of how's Jonathan Scope playing, where is he at, and in his timeline, can you trade him at the deadline? What, what does that look like? Because then you can slide Maton to second base. You put Malloy at third and, and roll with that. And maybe at some point, Malloy has to move out to the outfield, but I think um, you know, they feel good enough about him maybe to give him a chance at – at third base, but also we'll see. I haven't seen him enough at third base in, in live games. So yeah, there'll be time will tell on all this. Yeah, there'll be some DH bets too. All right, I want to ask you about who you think is going to close, and I want to ask you about how you think 
Miguel Cabrera's at-bats and playing time are going to be, but I want to take a fast break, and we'll be back. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about something that's near and dear to both of our hearts, which is one Miguel Cabrera. Had a farewell day today in Lakeland. Lined the left in his last at bat, got a nice round there. But tell me, what do you think his playing time situation is going to be? How do you think some of this is going to roll here, at least early? It's funny. It was um, Sunday before the game in the press box, sitting up there, and a group of us writers and you know someone else too was, was up there, and we were talking about how many plate appearances will Miguel Cabrera get in his final season, and everyone was kind of making their predictions and. I'm not going to share those maybe until later on, but I will share my prediction. And I predicted 233 plate appearances. Last season, he got 433. Um, So I I think he's going to get a a decent amount of playing time, but it's going to be like, you know, once a series type of thing and hopefully keep that consistent all the way through. So when you look at it from throughout the season, you'll feel like you're seeing him quite a bit on the field, I think. But in reality, they're going to try to stagger him as much as possible just to keep him healthy. Because that's the thing is you want this guy to be able to finish out his final season. And we know that early in the season, at least he's shown that the past couple of years, you know, that he's going to be able to hit early in the year. And that batting average could hover around 300. We'll see how it is this year. Again, like he, he he's getting older and that knee just isn't holding up anymore. So we'll see how long he can sustain that. But I think they're going to do a better job of trying to you know, really space it out like once a series and try to get him through the entire season. Because if you really play him a ton early, he's going to break down. He's not going to be able to play later in the season. It'll be injured list. And again, there might be, there might need to be an IL stint at some point this year. So in terms of what the batting average looks like at the end of the year and the home runs, I I have no idea. I I don't, I think he's going to hit for some average. I think he's hitting for absolutely no power and um, you know, Maybe he could be good with runners on base and, and knock in a couple runs. But for me, I got him at 233 plate appearances. I think that's fair considering the usage and considering it being his final season in a, in a farewell tour. So I, I think your number for at-bats is probably pretty decent. I think I look at it like, you know, the first, first two months of the year getting about 60 at-bats per month seems pretty like a pretty decent number for me i think uh he's gonna determine his own playing time the more he hits the more he's playing i also think he'll weirdly hit for a little bit more power than he has the last couple years i think he's going to try to do that he's going to situationally try to do that um but it's going to be you know, a very delicate thing. I, I, I've reminded people of this multiple times, but, you know, he was hitting 308, I think, on July 6th. Indeed. And, I, yeah, I mean, his OPS was 740 at that point, which And is, then he broke down the rest of the way, though. Like, that, then he broke down the rest of the way. So I don't, he, I don't he, think you play him a ton early in the season because you know he's going to break down. And also... If you're if you're marketing a farewell tour, you don't sell tickets when the guy that you're marketing isn't playing. So that's another thing to remember as well. I, I, think, I, think, be, I think he I don't I don't think he wants to go out being on the IL. I, I think there'll be a dialogue with him. And I think he understands he's gonna have diminished playing time, and I think it'll diminish as the year proceeds. They're gonna wanna give other people DH at bats, whether it's Eric Haas or Austin Meadows, Kerry Carpenter, there, there's players to DH, you know, Miguel's taking up at bats from players that they are trying to develop. And I think he understands that, but at the same time, 
you know, he likes playing. Don't don't ever think Miguel Cabrera. No, you're is. right on that. But how would you feel about lefties only? Lefties only mm, can start no, against no, lefties no. and come off the bench with runners on base when they, you know, lefty comes in the game and all you need is a single. Yeah. Well, here's my answer to that. You go tell Miguel Cabrera in April he's only facing lefties. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you to tell him that. Okay, because I don't think that's going over too well in April. So, you know, if you start telling me we're going to know a lot more, you know, by May 15th, we're going to we're going to have a much better understanding of his level of effectiveness. And, you know, between May 15th and June 15th, I think you'll start seeing how the rest of the year is going to shape up for them and. I don't think they're going to overplay them after the All-Star break. I think you know, it'll it'll evolve on its own. He probably got a DL stint in him. I mean, his knee only has so much in it. So, you know, personally, would I like to see him do anything possible to recapture a month of old Miguel Cabrera? And that'd be fun. If, you know, they were asking him to test after games because he was playing so well, sort of like his buddy Albert Pujols did last year, I would be all for it. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Miguel. Um, Hoping it doesn't disintegrate into something that we all feel bad about. I'm hoping there's a lot of, you know, a lot of fun times and, you know, he has a good time and we have a good time. That's really what I am. He's, I've been watching this stuff for a long time. And Yasiel Kaline is the greatest right-hand hitter that I saw in my youth. But, you know, Miguel Cabrera is the best best hitter I've ever seen in a Tiger uniform in my 60 years of watching this. It's almost not even close. I mean, he's, he's one of the greatest right-hand hitters one of the five greatest right-hand hitters of all time to me. So in his prime, just magical. So Mark, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants him to go out, go out on top, go out feeling healthy, have that smile on his face in the last game that he plays and to be in good spirits all the way through. Uh, that, that, that's what's good for baseball, hands down. Yeah, I think we'll all shed a tear when we see him uh, swing for the last time. So, all right, let's, let's, let me ask you, do we have any idea who's going to close or do you think AJ has no idea who's going to close? If AJ was listening to this, if he is listening to this, uh, I'm going to tell you what he would tell you. And that's that he doesn't have a closer. He's not going to name a closer and um, they're going to pitch somebody in the ninth inning. But for no, I mean, look, and if it's me telling you, yeah, AJ is not going to name a closer. That's, that's not happening. But I, I've kind of been impressed by Trey Wingenter. If you're talking about needing somebody to throw the ninth inning, like that's the truth is, is that you need someone to pitch the ninth inning. Okay. Right. Like you don't have to name him the closer, but you're going to need somebody or a, a group of pitchers to throw in the ninth. And Wingenter has been really impressive. I mean, he's been solid, rock solid um, so far this spring. And we'll see how he does when he's, you know, being asked to pitch over and over and over again. And, and you know, you're, you're talking about having a guy, and maybe pitches the eighth, ninth inning, you know, early in the season, but he's got the stuff to do it. Uh, we'll see if the health holds up throughout the year, but I'm not liking what I'm seeing from Alex Lang just in terms of the strike throwing. It's, it's awful. It's been, it's been terrible. The strike throwing has been just awful. Jose Cisnero, he's been super shaky as well. I, I don't feel confident in him coming out of, uh, coming out of spring training. The one guy that I feel the most confident in is the guy that I didn't think I would feel very confident in, and that's Trey Wingenter, a guy who's been hurt all of his career, throws two pitches, but they're elite. They're, they're, they're dynamite pitches. Throws a hard fastball, and his slider is nasty. nasty. So it's a two-pitch mix. Let it rock. I, I don't have a problem with that. I think that it makes sense. If you were to ask me who's going to pitch the ninth inning if the Tigers have the lead on, on opening day, I mean, I may, maybe you give it to Lang just out of – you're trying to win games. I, I think you give it to the guy who's been pitching the best and who's got a red-hot hand. That's Trey Wingenter. I, I think, you know, I've heard a lot of crumbling about Jason Foley. I went back and looked at how he threw this spring, and um, I'm pretty fluent in all things Jason Foley. And to be honest with you, I've, I've watched him a few times. Yay, isn't – his command isn't – as sharp as it normally is, but his stuff for, for sure was there. 
So his I'm stuff is really that. good. I just want to see. I want to see a better slider from him, from him, or a more consistent slider. Because when he's when he's able to land that slider in there for strikes, it's filthy. It's filthy. And to add that with the sink that he has, it's as good as it gets. So I'll, I'll be blunt about it. If if he could land his slider a little bit, he could close. Yes. So I don't know if he's got the makeup to close. We're going to find out. But his stuff is. His, his stuff is very, very good. So yeah. so to reiterate, no closer, but we'll see how it plays out when the ninth inning comes around and the Tigers have the lead. I think Wingenter, he's going to have to uh, have five or six appearances in some form of leverage before he's closing. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not I'll be interested to see. I still think that Cisneros is going to throw the ninth at least in the first week or two. And I've been a little disappointed. His stuff seems a little shorter than it used to be. Waiting for it to pick up. We'll see if the adrenaline of real baseball games, you know, has any impact on relievers stuff. The first week or two should be very interesting for the Detroit Tigers. I was not going to be too concerned about their bullpen, but I have now downgraded that to I think I need to wait and see for the first week or two. I feel the same way. So um, the rotation I feel good about, and I have no idea how they're going to – we've argued about who we think they're taking in the bullpen, but at this point in time, everybody's been so awful for the most part, you know, for – the sixth, seventh, and eighth bullpen spots, <laughs> you'd be making a guess on some guys that have thrown pretty damn poorly about coming north. I mean, you know, Brisky was horrendous this spring. His stuff was good. Pitch execution was very poor. Hill was not good at all, overthrowing like crazy. His breaking ball's been bad. So, your guess is as good as mine on this stuff. I'd like to tell you that I'm an expert. Usually I like to think I am, but some of this stuff, you'd like to think guys, if they've more eliminated themselves than earned a seat on the bus. Yeah. Chase and Shreve, he's, he's a lock. He's on the bus for sure. So yeah, he's been really good. I mean, really, really good. The brisky one is confusing just because the stuff has been so good, but just leaving a lot of pitches over the heart of the plate, isn't getting swings and misses in the zone with the fastball. It's it's been a head scratcher because the velocity's up, the stuff looks pretty good. We know his stuff is solid, and his stuff plays up when he's in that reliever role, and that's the that's the spot that they put him in all spring, and it just it wasn't very encouraging. Now, I think he's probably a, a better option than a lot of those guys in Toledo to be in the Tigers bullpen, only because the stuff is so good, and you would think that you know at some point he's going to lock it in and, and and get it going, and once he locks it in. You can see a guy who's who's just nasty like that. That could be really good to have in your bullpen. But we'll see. Will, he, he, he was he was underwhelming in spring, but a lot of those I, guys were. So I, it is what I'd it like, is. I'd like to see Brisky and Hill go to Toledo and start and get innings. You can always bring them back. I think they need innings. I think they need polish. I think they need consistency. And you only get that from going out there. So I think it's a waste to throw them in relief. I don't want to see a guy an inning at a time. I. I Guys like that, I would much rather see start and get up and down four or five, six times in a in a game and and get the repetition. So I mean, we can always convert them back to being relievers. I also think, as I said to you before, that as I tweeted a picture of today, I think uh, Scott Harris is going to be on his phone and have three minions. They're going to be calling people and checking the waiver wire. They're going to be looking for, for relief arms for sure. The interesting thing, I will bring this up, and you're going to have to understand the bullpen's going to be a work in progress. Some people were very concerned about Trevor Rosenthal's inning today. You saw it. I, I'm, I'm pretty fluent in things Trevor Rosenthal. Command wasn't great. Velocity wasn't great. Weirdly, strike throwing was very good. Also, throwing a cutter. So, well, it's more, it, it, it picked up as a cutter, but it's, it's more of a slider. Um, so I, I don't think it's really a true cutter. It's, it's more of a slider, um, or a slider type variation, but yeah, no, he wasn't, he wasn't bad. Look, I mean, he, he threw a bunch of strikes, 
that was a good thing to see. It was his first game back, injury on injury on injury on injury oh. over the last two years. Former all-star closer, a guy that if the velo gets back to where it used to be and his body holds up and the slider gets back to where it was, yeah, he could be really good. He could be a really good pitcher. Um, there are things that he can do on the mound that other guys can't do. And look, like like Trevor Rosenthal is a sneaky good addition by Scott Harris. I think that he kind of falls in the same boat as a Trey Wingenter, right? Obviously picked mm-hmm. him up a little bit later in the process, but it's basically the same, you know, type of bet that you're making. You're, you're bringing a guy in who's had a ton of injuries, hasn't been able to stay healthy. And in Rosenthal's case, like, let's just not forget that the fastball was, was an elite, elite pitch back in 2020 when he was last healthy. The slider was a really good pitch. The changeup when he threw it is to left-handed batters, like was absolutely disgusting. So there's things that he brings to the table that if he can get back to it, um, it's really going to help the Tigers out. He's going to pitch in a game midweek for the Tigers in the backfield. Then he's going to go to Toledo. He's going to pitch there and he's going to have to earn his way back. But I think it was an encouraging first sign just to get him back on the mound. I don't think we need to dissect that outing. I think it's it's pointless even to dissect no, it or to really I, talk about it. But I, I was encouraged by it. Yeah, so, I mean, the strike throwing was good. He 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 was throwing strikes. That's what you want to see early. Touch ninety six, and you know, it's like I said, he's he's got ten more outings before I'm going to be really starting 100%. to do an analysis of what's going on here. So the other thing is we have the Where's Waldo wild card, super sexy. Freddie Pacheco that we we don't we haven't had a Freddie Pacheco sighting we haven't had a Freddie Pacheco update he he is the mystery reliever of the Detroit Tigers he also throws 99 miles an hour and if you want to check on YouTube his slider is disgusting so I'm excited to hear if he's out for the season, if he's in witness protection, if he's somewhere been kidnapped by a cartel in Mexico. I I would like to know what is going on with Freddy Pacheco, but I'm hoping that uh, we can get an update maybe sometime in the next week that they'll decide to answer things. The Detroit Tiger front office has become the equivalent of North Korea in releasing information. And I know you guys are all frustrated by that, as am I. Um, But maybe they can tell us a little bit about the guy because they may have to create a – we may learn a little bit because they may use him to create a a roster spot by putting him on the 60-day IL. If they do not put him on the 60-day IL – I also think that's telling us a story. So we'll pay close attention in the next two days to how that works out. All I'm going to say, Mark, is when you're not hearing anything um, and no one wants to say anything and talk about the situation, that probably means there's not a good thing going on. Yeah, that's, I don't that's, disagree. That's kind of where I'm at on that. But, but, but I, I just wanted to remind people, you know, I mean, look, best case scenario, Trevor Rosenthal and Freddie Pacheco – six weeks from now are both throwing 98 and we find that interesting addition to the tiger bullpen. The other side of that is they may never throw an inning for the tigers bullpen. So it's, you know, seasons are long and works in progress and frustrating. So just another discussion point, but something to be paying attention to, by the way, and I'll just drop this in here. If you like hard throwing bullpens, Go check out the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen. I think they have five guys who throw 98 or harder. It's lefties, righties. I, I think people's mothers throw 98 over there. It's it's pretty amazing. Their, their rotation, That's where Freddy Pacheco came from. That's yeah, where Freddy Pacheco came from. I, I'm telling you, their rotation, they have a number one starter who throws 84 miles an hour, is 41 years old, and is on the disabled list, and they have some starter depth, but damn, their bullpen is really, really good. And they have probably the most exciting rookie uh, in baseball this year, Jordan Walker. If you don't, haven't heard of him or, you know, pay attention. If he's healthy, he's like six foot seven, 260 pounds, super athletic, probably play right field and can hit a ball farther than uh, about anybody except Aaron Judge. So yeah, St. Louis is kind of an interesting team. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens with them. We're going to 
go to something that Evan and I are excited to do. We have a bunch of mailbag questions. We're going to get to them right after we take our last break. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we're going to do something we've never done before that we're going to try to do at least once a month. If it's popular, we'll do it more often than that. We're going to do a mailbag. We love that you guys sent us a bunch of questions. We're happy to have you guys participate with us. First question is, what is the probability that Erod is dealt at the trade deadline and what kind of return can we expect if he's his old self? This is an interesting question. Um, obviously, Eduardo Rodriguez has an opt-out in his contract coming up after this season. He signed a five-year, $77 million deal. This will be his second season in Detroit, so he can opt out and forego those last three seasons of his deal where he gets paid significantly more per year and go test the waters. I think it's a no-brainer that he opts out, just considering what the market was like for starting pitchers in this past offseason. So I think it's, it's a no-brainer for him to opt out of his contract and to become a free agent. Now, in terms of dealing him, Mark, I know you and I kind of have some differing views in a way um, about this and maybe more about the return and the value that the Tigers could get back. But I think they're going to deal him if they can. If there's an offer on the table, I think you've got to take it because you know you're going to lose him at the end of the season. It just really depends on, one, how many teams are willing to – take a chance and, and go out and get a guy who has three years left on his contract after that season. Like, let's just say, this is my biggest thing. It's like, what if he doesn't opt out? What if you make a trade for him and he gets hurt? And I don't know, Tommy John, let's say he has Tommy John and you're stuck with him. You know, could that lower the value of, of him? Just knowing that there is that chance that maybe he blows out his arm. It's it, to me that's I mean I think it's a real question that teams are going to have to ask themselves when they're making a trade like this because you know there are times when you you don't really know, but look if there's a deal on the table I think the Tigers are going to 100% do it. It makes way too much sense not to because this guy is back to his usual self and he's solid. He's 100% going to opt out. Um, he hasn't said that publicly. He hasn't come out and made that announcement. But look like it's a guy who knows what he can get out there on the market. You're going to go get it and 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 he deserves it at that point too. So. Either we're going to see him opt out. Therefore, if there's a trade on the table, I think you move him. What do you think, Mark? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, Wayne Giles, for that question, because I know if I asked the question and you didn't include the name on it, I I would be disappointed. Um, So thanks, Wayne, for the question. Yeah, it's real simple with Erod for me, much simpler than, look, if he's having a good year, even if he's having a bad year, they're, they're trading him at the deadline. He's opting out. Forget about it. Unless his arm's hanging by a thread, Eduardo Rodriguez is opting out. If you saw what they paid starting pitchers this winter, he's opting out, period, end of story. So am I dealing him? Yeah, unless you have a discussion with him about, you know, paying him an extra $30 million because you're going to either add a year or add $7 million a year to his contract or a bonus or something. You might. Maybe it's worth having a discussion. Who the heck knows where we're going to be in July about it. But right, I, I, is it, you know, on a, on a scale of percentage? Yeah, that's a 15% possibility. The other 85% is they're going to trade A-Rod. I mean, E-Rod. They're going to trade Eduardo Rodriguez. That's an 85% likelihood they're trading him. So get ready. Okay. What do I think they're going to get for him? If he's throwing well, a hell of a lot. Because contending teams that are looking for a reliable starting pitcher with playoff experience that's having a good year, they pay a ton for him. I don't care who you are. It's part of the cycle of baseball. It's that simple. Okay. What will they want? No idea. 
Who knows what the team's going to look like then? There's so many unknowns with this Tiger baseball team. I, I hope I, I, I asked a question yesterday and I really appreciated the engagement of the fan community, which was, you know, here's what, here's what my three expectations were for the season, which were health, Javi Baez, Austin Meadows, three biggest variables of the Tiger season to me. Okay. So if the Tigers are healthy and they have players, they're going to be interesting things that are going on. They're going to, you know, they got a core they're trying to develop, hopefully. But at the end of the day, the, the two best baseball cards besides Eduardo Rodriguez is what's on the back of a baseball card are Austin Nettles and Javi Baez. And yeah. Look, Javi was really good for 92 games last year. He was decent for 92 games. So 2.2 war his last 92 games. About a four-war season, by far and away the best player on the Tigers, and a hundred times better than all you crazy fans think who he think he sucks all the time. And that was a terrible Javi Baez season. He couldn't throw the ball well. He was monstrously inconsistent at the plate. He had a hand injury in the first two months. He sucked. And yet, he was a 2.2 war in the last 92 games. Austin Meadows, for all the Mark Gorosh grousing that he hasn't hit a home run in 233 at-bats for the Detroit Tigers between two spring trainings and in abbreviated 2022, he's hit 25 homers and knocked in 100 runs. He's hit 25 homers twice, and he's knocked in 100 runs once. Is there anybody else besides Miguel Cabrera and the Tigers that's done that? Yeah, I've said over 25. So. That's MVP votes, Mark. That's MVP votes Correct. for Austin Meadows. I mean, come right. on. And hit homers in the playoffs. So, yep. look, the fastest way for the Tigers to be competitive are for those two players that have a huge track record to play better. Okay? And do I think they'd trade Austin Meadows if he was playing better? Absolutely. Absolutely. I Especially with all those left-handed bats you got. I mean, look, Mark, you have Parker Meadows, you have Colt Keith, like you have you have two left-handed Riley, bats. Right you, there. Have, you have you Riley, have Riley Green. You have How Nick Maytown. How about Nick Maytown? Yeah, I mean, there's so yes, many. Yes, you have a lot of left-handed bats. Okay, but the bottom line of what I'm saying about Eduardo Rodriguez, yeah, they're trading him. Plan on it. In fact, pray for it because if you want high-quality people. As part of your core, he's at the top of the list how you're going to get it, okay? So, all right, let's move on to the next question. Let's go to uh, let's go to Nick Spillane. I know Nick. What's up, Nick? Nick wants to know, which player on the Tigers roster this season do you both think is the most integral to the Tigers being a 500 team or better? I can make a case for a lot of different guys, but who do you guys think is the X factor for the team? I mean, I think you kind of just, yeah, I mean, I think you just kind of touched on, you know, who your X factors were. So to hit on mine, I think it kind of coincides with what you're saying in terms of, you know, you need Javi Baez, you need Austin Meadows to be what we know that they can be. I also think you need to see that next step from Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, specifically Spencer Torkelson. If he's able to take that next step and he's able to become a guy who hits even, you know, 260 and, and 20 jacks, that's a that's a much different player than we saw last year. And, you know, that that's year two in the big leagues, right? Like imagine what year three could look like and, and year four could look like if he gets off to that kind of start this season and, and he's able to roll like that. And then Riley Green, like we, we've talked about him several times. He's someone that I think has MVP caliber potential, could be really, really good in this game for a really long time. And we need to see him take that next step too. It's those two young guys. I mean, you don't draft Riley Green number five overall in 2019 and Spencer Torkelson, number one overall in 2020, for these guys not to be good in 2023. Like, you're hoping that by this point, things really start to click. And I think, I wouldn't say that one or the other is an X factor, maybe Torkelson more than Green, just because, you know, we know that Green is going to be a, a pretty solid player, whereas Torkelson, maybe there's still question marks because he hasn't done it yet. Though what we've seen in spring training has been really encouraging. But I'll lump those two guys together. Let's, let's call it the Green and Torque show. And that, that's my X factor for them this year, aside from the guys that you've already talked about pretty in depth when it comes to um, you know, Javi Baez and, and Austin Meadows. So I think, I, I think that answers that question. Yeah, I, I agree. 
you know, if you ask me to consolidate it, I would say Baez and Green, no doubt yeah. about it. All right. Field Diamond asked, uh, will Akil Badu still be with the Tigers when the 2024 season starts? I think this is a really tough question. I think this is a, this is difficult. I mean, for me, it's yes um, in the organization, 100%. I, I think he'll be in the Tigers organization. Will he be with the Tigers in the big leagues when 2024 starts? I, I don't know. He's approaching 700 plate appearances, which is just over you know 600 at-bats for him in the big leagues so far. He was so hot in 2021 to start. And then ever since, ever since really like, you know, three quarters of the way through that season, he's been pretty ice cold at the plate when it comes to just getting the job done. And when, you know, when he's not getting on base, when he's not getting hits and, and drawn walks, he's not getting on base. So he's not stealing bases. And then when he is getting on base, sometimes he's making poor decisions on the bases because he's just trying to do too much. And you really want to see him settle in if he wants to be around in 2024. My prediction, just because, of what we know we have coming in the sense of Parker Meadows is no, he will not be with the Tigers in 2024, but he will be in the organization. Uh, that's, that's my early pick, but we all know what he can do when he's getting on base. So he can easily change my mind there. I'll go with no better players coming behind him. And I'll also say won't be in the organization because I think he's would be part of a, of a deal maybe that other teams may find him interesting and he may I – th- I think clever GMs like to exchange assets to rebalance their roster. I think although Akil is a unique player and we don't really have anybody else like him, I also think that the players coming behind him are better than him right. and will try to sell high would be the best way I would explain that. Well, we've even talked about it in terms of just the – Akil Badu or Kerry Carpenter debate, right? Akil Badu might be a better bench player for you, but who's actually a better long-term piece? It's Kerry Carpenter because of the the power that he provides. Like that gives you that gives him more of an opportunity to be an everyday at bat in a lineup at some point in his in his near future. So I think, yeah, you're spot on. There, there's other guys coming up behind him. And at some point it's gonna run out. We'll see. Maybe Scott gets creative with that down the road. We're gonna have to keep tabs on it. Um, but if he does trade Akil Badu, Mark, you called it first. I'll make sure I remember that, okay? Okay. All right. Next, uh, Ty Myers asked, I'd love to know your thoughts on moving uh, Javi Baez. When will it happen? If it'll happen? I feel like he's not a long-term option for Harris and it doesn't fit the mold Scott Harris is going for. That's true. Looking. F- uh, so give me, give me your thoughts on the Javi situation. Yeah, he might not fit the Scott Harris mold, but also Scott Harris might be stuck with what Javi's doing. I mean, look, this guy's locked into a contract. He can opt out after this season. He would have to have a monster season to opt out. Um, I think he would have to be getting MVP votes, which he's only done once in his career. And that's when he finished runner up back with the Cubs. So I think it's a long shot that he opts out only because, you know, we, everybody knows what his holes are. It's, it's the point now where, I mean, you're past 30 and that's a concern for teams anyway. So for him, if he wants to get paid and he wants to get paid a lot of money, it'd be smart probably just to stay with the Tigers. But in terms of moving him down, I don't think he's a bad. I don't think he's a bad player. Look, I mean, I understand Javi Baez is frustrating when he chases down and away sliders over and over and over again, and that's never going to change. But he's not a bad player. I mean, in his first 50 games last year, he hit 189 with three homers and a 520 OPS. In his final 94 games, he hit 264 with 14 homers and a 750 OPS. Like that, that's a, a lot better. Yeah, he so wasn't that bad. 114 WRC plus 11th best shortstop. In that's baseball. above average. Yeah. So I don't I don't think he's at a point where they're even talking about moving him down in the lineup. He's going to be right there in the heart. And he's going to be a big piece for this team this year. He's going to have to show up. He's going to have to hit for power. The good news is, is from everything that I've seen so far this spring, Javi Baez looks really comfortable. He looks happy. He looks like he's in a good place. You know, year two is always easier than year one when you're coming to a new organization. And the Tigers have done a lot to try to make him as comfortable as possible. And it seems like that's been the case so far. He raked for Team Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic. That's always a good sign. So hopefully those results can translate to a bounce back with the Tigers in 2023. But um, yeah, that, that's a, a two, three, four, maybe five hitter in your lineup um, all the way through probably two, three. So All right, last question's up question i promised i'd answer it and i think it's something we need to talk about which is i hope you elaborate on your concerns with matt veerling's swing 
I brought this up last week. And what, what are our expectations of Matt Veerling? Okay. So you want to take your part and then I'll go into my long-winded <laughs> answer of it. Yeah, I'll be quick because I know you got a lot to say on this. Look, I think Matt Veerling, and I, I wrote it. I wrote it in the story. Um, you go back, freep.com, Matt Veerling, the story is about you know, him making changes to become a better player. And a lot of it was focused on his swing and some of the things that I personally saw that, that maybe wasn't so great about his swing, some things that other people said that they didn't really like about his swing and some concerns that they have. Those things, um, Mark, I, I think for the most part, line up with what you're about to say. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think that, you know, Matt Veerling could improve his swing. He could change some things and make some tweaks and become an even better player. I also think I want to see more of him to really get an assessment of that. And I also want to, you know, see more of him to see if he maybe already has done that. He was hurt a lot during spring training, didn't get to play a ton of games. So I don't think it's fair for me to really say one way or the other, whether he's he's done enough or whether he's going to lose playing time, this or that. I know you have a different take, so I'll, I'll let you take it. I don't um, know how much different we'll it is, but he, here's the facts. Okay. Matt Veerling, super talented athlete, tons of uh, stat cast data. He's a stat cast warrior in many ways. Great X velocity, you know, top 3% in straight ahead or base running speed in baseball. Not a great walk rate. Had seven hits this spring, although he was hurt. Six of those came before March 3rd. Saw him hit the ball hard after he came back. Almost never. Has a little bit of a wrap. You know, it's, when I say wrap, he kind of takes his hands back, almost behind him a little bit before he brings them forward when he loads. It's a, a swing discussion. People will yell at me about that. They'll argue with me about it. But Matt Verling does not get the bat to the front of the plate to do damage often enough on target yet for me. It worries me how consistent his swing is. I brought up this comparison many, many times times already and it worries the living daylights out of me look for five years jacoby jones teased us that he was on the verge of being good he walked a lot in the minor leagues he hit a ton of home runs in the minor leagues he had a really good defensive run saves oaa season defensively when he played a lot of left field was kind of only okay in center just a ridiculously good athlete. We all watched him for a long time. Ended up, just never got out over the hump. Way more skill than consistency. He now, I think, got released again by KC. Have no idea where he is. Inches from being out of baseball. So, literally, inches from being out of baseball. I don't think that's fair to Matt Vierling, Mark. All I'm saying is profile-wise, there's a lot of similarities between Jacoby Jones and Matt Veerling. And until Matt Veerling shows a lot more productivity on the field, I am just taking the entire idea under advisement. It just reminds me a lot of a player that we just spent five years waiting to be good. They had a lot of athletic baseball skills that never was able to realize them consistently. That's fair. I think, yeah. I mean, I think when you look at this Phillies trade, and this is kind of my last take on the on the Beerling thing, is if there was someone that I'd be more excited about coming out of spring training, it's Nick Maton. But also, that's maybe oh. that's only because Matt Beerling has, you know, he only played 10 games. He only got, you know, 28 at-bats in, in spring training and didn't get didn't get a full workload just because he was hurt and was was dealing with that and coming back from it. So I, before I pass judgment, I want to see him playing every day, getting reps against both lefties and righties, which I think is still the plan to try to see if he can become an everyday type of player and, and to see what, what happens in the season. Like, we'll know, we'll notice more. And I know you have your thoughts on him, but for me, I mean, again, I've, I've written about it already. Like I've already written about some of the things about his hands and, and his load and, what it looks like when he's when he's attacking a pitch and some of the deficiencies there and some things that cause me for concern, which align with with a lot of what you're saying. But I just think to look at him as a complete player, to really say, hey, what can this guy be? Give him a little bit of time. Give him a little bit I, of time. I want to reiterate, I'd love to see him do well. 
open-minded about being patient. I'm seeing some things that concerns me and um, I'm bringing it up. That's all I got to say. And I'm not, I'm not down on them. I'm just trying to bring a fair-minded analysis. That's hopefully why they're paying me to be here. <laughs> no, that's fair. Look, I mean, he, he's never hit enough home runs. He's always hit too many hard hit ground balls. It's always, that's been, that's been his case. It's, it's hard hit ground balls, not enough hard hit fly balls. He hasn't been able to develop his power like hundred percent. Like you're not wrong in, in being concerned. I'm excited to see how it plays out. I'm excited to see what this guy is able to do over a long stretch of time where he's getting more opportunities than he was getting in Philly. They were picking and choosing their spots over there. Now he's going to be asked to do a lot more in Detroit and, and the pressure's on in that way. Yeah, pressure's on. You're right. We're gonna we're gonna see starting Friday night because I promise you he's in the starting lineup against Shane McClanahan. So uh I think Sun, you know, game two, you're gonna see Spencer Turnbull on the mound if I'm making a pretty good guess. After that, I have no idea how they're gonna stagger the rotation. I I think they're keeping Boyd for Houston. Uh wouldn't shock me if Wentz through game three, but we'll uh We'll see what it's going to bring. All right. I want to remind everybody to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. It's opening day, baseball season. I hope more and more people spread the word for us. We're going to do a lot more fun things. We're going to add a few more segments as we have opportunities to do. I'm sure we'll discuss some minor league things. We'll discuss how things you know, went down during the week and it'll get a little more consistent now that we don't have spring training to talk about all the time anymore. So rate, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can always find us in the free press where you find Evan Petzl three or four times a day. Uh, You can find me at Twitter at M-G-O-R-O-S-H at Sports5176. And uh, I'd like to thank our executive producers, uh, sports editor Kirkland Crawford, executive producer, interim editor uh, Anjanette Delgado, our producer Robin Chan. Uh, as always, I'd like to thank my grandson, Braden Michael Gorash, such a good boy. And I'd like to, both of us, Evan and I would both like to give a shout out to our buddy, Kieran Steckley. Thinking about you, buddy. Thinking about your dad. Hope he heals up soon. I hope everybody has a great time uh, opening day this week. And uh, we'll see you down at Tiger Stadium next week. Let's open the baseball season for real. Everybody, peace. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.